should there even be uh, an accord of appeal for such decisions on a global level? Like if someone says, I've taken your mind, can you go to the International Court of Justice? Can you go somewhere? Where is that? Where And where is that? And just because you negotiated with China and China says that in case of a dispute, the arbitration should be done in China, can you override arbitration clauses internationally when your assets are at risk? I mean, there is a lot to speak about and to think about. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another discussion on the Africa Asia platform. Uh, so the discussion tonight is about uh, China-Africa relations. I'm with Patricia. She's our guest uh, whenever we are discussing this topic. And uh, Patricia, you could say hi, and then I will go uh, on to introduce the topic for tonight, Patricia. Um, hello, uh, listeners. Um, thank you for coming and being here with us. Um, I'm Patricia. <laughs> I'm always here about China and Africa. It's it's my field, my field, my passion, my <laughs> my um, my headache, but I love it. So I'm always really glad to be here with Christine. She's always been very nice to have me come and share my knowledge. So um, thank you for being here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks, Patricia. And I think uh, to our listeners, uh, I think I will speak a bit more about what uh, Patricia's knowledge is. She actually has done quite a bit of studying of China-Africa relations, currently is doing more research in the area. She could mention more about it if she would like. But uh, she's also a lawyer, and so her area of practice will mainly be around uh, China, Africa, and the legal aspects of it. So you can look out for her articles and you can look out for insights as she will share about like the legal aspects of China-Africa relations. There are quite a number. And when you think about it, there's so much that China is doing across the world that this knowledge of like, for instance, how uh, what China is doing is as legal implications within Africa and also thinking through uh, agreements and contracts that Africa is entering into with China. And mainly, uh, Patricia, you could also comment about it. I think for China also, uh, it's a lot to do with the relationship you have with them. So it's not purely just a knowledge of the legal stuff, but if you knew the language uh, or and if you knew like the culture, it goes a long way in like the practice of the law and the practice of the areas around it. And Patricia has those. So uh, in case anyone ever has any questions about this, uh, Patricia would be a, your go-to person. And she will share the article around this topic that we'll be discussing tonight, which is uh, about uh, China seizing the Entebbe airport. We've mentioned it previously, um, briefly discussed it. Uh, but tonight now, uh, Patricia will give us a bit more of an update and thoughts around it, really. And uh, it's just to spark some thoughts and so that you can, anyone listening to this can listen, uh, can learn of things around like what form of contract should be entered into about collateral for these loans. What really mm -hmm. is China up to? Uh, is, is, you know, is what China, China's way of lending versus IMF and the other institutions any different? You know, like to just give some thoughts and some ideas around this. And this is especially because China and is a, is a topic of one interest and also a topic that requires to be studied, uh, especially mm -hmm. from the African perspective, because there's a lot ha happening in the African soil. So at this point, I'll let Patricia carry on and um, speak a bit more in, about this topic. Patricia. Um, thank you, Christine. So, yeah, like uh, Christine introduced me, uh, I studied in China for about four years, and now I'm doing my PhD in China again. Uh, and my area of research is human rights, but then I am really interested in the uh, economic dynamics of between China and Africa and in the field of human rights and the economic dynamics exist in 
the ecosystem of international law and international law, public international law specifically, has very many branches. And um, I'm really interested in the intersection of international economic law, public international economic law and public international human rights law, because these two influence each other. And one of the areas of public international economic law is international financial law, and which is an area that most people are not really, you do not, when you think about international law, most times it does not come to mind that um, financial law, financial or financial institutions like the World Bank or the IMF, I mean, you know that they exist as institutions globally, but you don't really think about the international, the legal dynamics behind that. And for me, I find that interesting in the context of China, Africa, because law a lot of the times does not come into the equation when people are discussing it. It's usually politics or trade or money, but law becomes something that is glossed over. And it's something that is, I don't know whether it's intentional, but it comes through especially with China and also with Africa, and it has become a comfortable place in which the relationship between Africa and China exists. Uh, and we have to continuously try to bring law into the equation, like um, Christine was saying about these contracts that usually, um, you know, like it's usually the relationship. China is depending a lot about the relationship between China and African countries and international law usually doesn't come into that, but it, it does. And the context, uh, an example which we introduced in our last discussion was the, the incident of the supposed acquisition or takeover of Entebbe Airport, Uganda's Entebbe Airport by the Chinese, because they failed to um, repay or pay back on a loan they had taken from a Chinese bank in Uganda to, you know, like the Chinese had been contracted, um, more specifically, China Exim Bank, export and uh, export import uh, bank, in Uganda had been contracted, had been approached by the Ugandan government to supply a loan to refurbish, you know, the Entebbe airport, its only international airport. And in this context, you see an African country, a small African country, um, coming to a foreign, you know, a foreign country, um, a foreign, um, supplier of finance are bigger, you know, it's in a bigger position. It has the money to give the small country to help develop its only um, international airport, its access to the world, you know, to, to development, it's to uh, increase its capacity, to cargo capacity, to increase its uh, uh, human traffic. And this, all these things will help Uganda as a country to develop, to go to that next level and to, to make trade, to make people move, to create jobs, to make sure that Ugandans reach the world and the world comes to Uganda. And this is beneficial all around for Ugandan development. And you know, Ugandan, you know, um, revenues and for its GDP and to increase the standard of living and to bring investors. And this is good for Uganda really. But all we need is money. We need the money. We need to people to finance these kinds of projects. And and for other countries, like you know, developed countries, it's it's a no-brainer. They can always build an airport. But for Uganda, we have we in the context of the Entebbe Airport, which was commissioned, I think, in 19, the 1950s, since then it has received very little refurbishing. So it needs this finance to be able to expand a little bit. And not very many foreign donors are giving Uganda this money. It's China. They, they, it was like a last resort. They didn't have very many avenues to go to to get this money because, first of all, countries like Uganda are very small. They have very 
small credit rating and this is very important the credit rating in the international financial market is very very important for you to be a given money even with organizations like the world bank and imf who are also you know like the groupings of other private creditors who put their money into these uh, organizations and then this money is uh, it's spread out to all these countries that are applying for all these funds and for uganda is uganda is in a queue it's in a line you know like there are so many countries that are applying for this and also these countries are are or these private creditors who are coming from developed countries like the us london i mean the uk from france you know the european countries or um oil exporting countries in the Saudi Arabia, all these creditors, you know, like they are coming from countries that are also having their own objectives to fulfill. So money is very, it's a subject that is, you know, like it's 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 something that they they will look, they have their own objectives, their own development, where they want that money to go. So Uganda might not be a top priority in their in the scheme of all things. So you're going, you're turning to the next available source of this um, money, and it's China. And China is giving you this money, but on certain conditions, which, of course, IMF and the World Bank is also giving these conditions. You know, it's giving the conditions, but China is giving you this money at conditions that are not as restrictive as, you know, the World Bank or you know, IMF, and you're getting the money quicker than you would do it in the international scheme of things. You're, you're doing it as at the time you're wanting to do it. And this is what happened to Uganda in 2015 when they approached China. So China Exim Bank agrees to give them this money and um, the Civil Aviation Authority, which is the authority that's responsible for uh, this kind of thing, because it's the one that's running that airport and then the finance minister meet negotiate and they go through all this procedure which is normal for like getting loans in a you know being in debt public debt for countries because it's normal i mean countries need to debt is good for countries they need to get that money so that they can develop now and then over time paid back so debt is not a bad thing at all most developed countries developed on debt, like they are indebted. One of the most indebted countries in the world is the US and it's the most developed country. So debt is not necessarily a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing when it's managed badly, like really, really badly. So they follow the procedure, the law, we have a law, we have a public you know, finance management act. They follow the procedure, they take they sign the contracts, which is the concessional contracts. They sign the loan agreement and all these agreements. They take it to parliament. The parliament approves it. They, the lawyers read through the agreement. And, you know, there's all these phases that are supposed to go through with the um, refurbishment and renovation of the airport. So the first phase is the one that they get the money and which is like 200 US million, I think, million dollars. Yes, that's that's the money for just the first phase of renovating. So this controversy is only concerning that first phase. So the problem comes when um, the, where the money is being handled is not done according to the contract. So China, the bank, decides to cut payment. Like the, the contractors weren't getting the money um, they were supposed to get from the government. They weren't getting it as scheduled. So the bank cuts payment. So it freezes up, you know, like how, you know, you know construction is going on in an airport and it affects the way travel is being managed or there is the, 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 you know, like just business as usual comes to a halt at the airport. So it creates a problem and all these people, these ministers go to Beijing to try to negotiate with the government, with, 
with the bank and at this point which is like last year in october this is when the drama starts happening and people are starting to raise eyebrows because the airport you know construction has halted um business is not going as usual um media is starting to throw up all these red flags and then the civil authority the civil aviation authority says that you know what um there were some things that were not quite right in the contract you know and this is like last year this is when they say that there were things and they had signed this contract in 2016 so and you coming up that there are things that are not right and um i think three of the major things weren't right they said weren't right so the first thing was of course the issue about attaching government assets as collateral for failure to pay when you default they can attach government assets and these government assets could be or may not be the airport and it's not like really the airport in totality it can just be freezing um you know freezing activity the civil aviation authority going bankrupt and just bad bad things can happen so um it's not technically taking the airport it would just mean that um the process of bankruptcy would just mean that the lender can take over management so it's not like you the, the government is coming and saying the airport is ours and they, technically it would be theirs really because they're running it until they can pay themselves back but it's not that you know like it would just be there as theirs then yeah, patricia the, yeah i think at this point if i may interject yes. interject you and also I, I don't know make an observation about mm. uh, because the amount that you indicated as the amount owing mm. by Uganda to by Uganda to the to China and I was just looking at like the statistics of how much the US for instance uh owes China because again like the US debt is like one of the main ways people invest this includes billionaires and this includes countries if you see the amount that us owes us china uh, i mean i'm looking i mean i'm looking at the statistics uh, from various websites it goes to between 1 1 trillion us dollars to 1.1 trillion us dollars it's really huge when you think about it but i, I haven't heard of china seizing anything from the us i mean i just thought it's interesting to make <laughs> that comment <laughs> exactly because their their negotiation is solid and they are like at par with each other as you know as 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 debtors and as creditors so um you wouldn't have government like that um or a country like the US attaching its national you know its national assets its its national airport or its most critical resource as collateral it would maybe attach bonds or it would put in um you know like uh, i don't know some some something it would just attach things and it has enough to use as collateral as as a country like that it would have enough and it would have the bargaining power and it would have enough resources to you know but it plans well and which is a point we'll get to later because they are almost equals like really in bargaining power they are the two superpowers but now put in context that's why i began the way i began put in context uganda small uganda and it's one international airport and needing money to refurbish and renovate not even to construct a different one just to renovate it needs this money badly like and so it's desperate so of course what other valuable assets does it have to offer up as collateral and as a as a creditor really as as the lender china needs to have something to attach you, you cannot think 
they cannot be like the, the, the matter in this, you know, they cannot be benevolent because it's business. Business is business. And if they started handing out anything different, it would not, it would not be alone. It would be aid. And that would put us at a level of dependency, not as business partners, not as partners in development, which China wants to do, to put African countries at that level where they are co-existent and they are co-dependent and they benefit from each other. It's The problem is we are not at the same level. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the sad story. That's that's the really sad story. And when you're figuring out the international law for that, you'd realize how unfair it is, especially in a field like financial law, international financial law. Like when you think about international law, you always think about equality between states. But some fields of law, international law, are not really equal. States are not equal at all. Like they don't treat state. We, we are basically, even if I would try to sit here and argue that we have not lost our sovereignty, we lost it a long time ago. We lost it in colonialism, we lost it in neocolonialism, we are dependent on the IMF and the World Bank, we are dependent on China now. We are not independent countries, technically. <laughs> So you cannot look at China and say debt trap. We are already in a debt trap with IMF and the World Bank and our colonial masters. It's, it's, it's the way the world works. So whoever is pointing fingers at China should look at the country where they are from and then see the relationship they have with the country they are saying is being taken advantage of and then start talking, start defending that. So it's and something that you cannot argue with. It's a complex thing. It's a really, you cannot take one side. Every side has holes that the things that issues that, you know, you cannot really put in, you know, like black and white, that this is you're the right one or the, it's just the system failed a long time ago and it's still failing. And it's, it's, unfortunately, to the disadvantage of African countries, period. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> that's the yeah. explanation I can give you, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's my comment. I, I don't know what other opinions other people have, but that's my take on it. I think I can continue with the other, yeah. the other part of the discussion. So as I was saying that they had one of the issues, the issues with that the Civil Aviation Authority of Uganda raised with the arguments, with the finance, loan finance arguments, they, which they called in the, in the media toxic clauses of these loan agreements. So the first one was attaching government assets. The second one was the, that, um, Uganda or the Ugandan government or the authority had to first seek approval from the Chinese lender, the bank, for any budget and strategic plans it was taking on this airport. So you, you can see how, how strange this is because it's, it's basically, you cannot make national decisions on your own. You have to consult the lender. Like that is taking away your independence, your sovereignty, it's, 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 it is something that is, it raises flags, yeah, because then uh, the lender had told the bank, had only had, there was a clause that said that they had to set up different accounts and, and to, in order to get money from that account, they had to first seek approval from the bank or made, uh, to seek approval from, yeah, the lender, the, the bank, and the government could really not access these revenues, which is something that I would not fault China on, really, because they need to know that their money is actually being used for what is supposed to be used for, to renovate. So they need to be there in the process to know that how is it being handled, and yes, we're giving you this money, but we want each to go to this. The only problem is that when money comes 
back from that and goes into this account, the government cannot touch it and use it for anything else. Maybe if they want to like um, use it for emergency, let's say COVID-19, they want to use that money. They cannot touch it. They cannot use it to employ people. They can only use it for what this money was applied for. And that was to renovate and refurbish the airport. And that was it. That is it. So for Uganda, the, the, the government, this was a problem. Or for the revenue authority, this was a problem. They could not access that revenue at all. And they had to consult an external party before they could actually touch it. So it, it's, it touched a nerve. And the third part of that was that the agreement had actually floated or um, the government had actually waived its sovereign immunity. So they could be sued or they could be brought in courts in Beijing and sued as you know, no party because you're not a sovereign, you don't have that immunity anymore. So you can actually be sued, you can go bankrupt, you can go through insolvency proceedings, you can pay the costs of these legal proceedings. Basically, yeah, you are not you you're not untouchable anymore. So, and also the person to whom the dispute was okay, like the whole procedure for disputes, for resolution of disputes. It was all to be done in China by a Chinese committee that had been set up in China. So all these things were basically happening on the Chinese side and not on the Ugandan side. I mean, at least according to the sources, because I have tried, I, have, I cannot get my hands on the argument. <laughs> I cannot find it anywhere, which is also raises a lot of flags because it's not public information. So you're depending on you know media sources but apparently it was uganda did not have a lot of leeway in the whole argument it was mostly china that was running the whole show so but china when this whole thing blew up apart apart from denying that they were actually taking over a national asset they said that it, it was impossible. They had never done it in Africa. They denied all these things. And they also argued that they were giving better terms to Uganda generally because um, it had 2% interest, which is very different from other, most other loan, loan you know, interest. It's usually 10%. So it's, it, was, it was not as bad. And they had, they still had, it was 20 years it could, it's maturity, term of maturity was 20 years, which was quite a long time. And they also had seven years grace period, which they still have, like it's still, they still have time to, to, to pay back. But the only problem is that this money was given for phase one, like I said, and it was supposed to be finished within a specific time, according to the contract. So if they go over that time, then it becomes, it, it, it's extra, it's breach of contract, it's another conundrum, it's, it's legal battles, it's more money spent, it's revenue, it's taxpayers, you know, pay coughing up this money and it's behind schedule and we lose money, like generally, it's, it's bad news for everyone. But apparently the terms on China's side, at least, they said they were much more lenient. And looking at it, you can agree that it's, it's much more lenient than what African countries usually get from the IMF. So really, it, it, it makes you question because um, after this whole thing blew up, then the parliament actually asked the finance minister and the revenue, I mean, the civil aviation authority to come to parliament to explain why they had not scrutinized the argument, which was very funny because they were actually part of the procedure to approve this, this argument. And you're like telling these people to ask why they didn't scrutinize it, you approved it, you put your stamp on it. 
And then the procedure after that, the way they handled it was also really, really bad. Like it was so, so bad. They asked the finance minister to come and explain why they had allowed such clauses to be in such an agreement and whether they had done due diligence. And the response of the finance minister was that we did due diligence, but due diligence, the due diligence he said they did, he said that it's because they had worked with the bank for four terms before and they were happy. And that, um, what was the other thing they said, the, the due diligence, they said they had looked over the agreement and they thought it was okay. I don't know in a lawyer's perspective or in an economist, in any person's perspective, when someone asks you for due diligence, that is not the due diligence you're supposed to tell them. You're supposed to tell, to, it's, you're supposed to give them charts and numbers and testimonies and research and impact assessment. That is, the, it was ridiculous. And then at the end of that, the whole thing, the, they had no excuse. They said that, you know, when I was doing research for this thing, one of the things that stood out to me, one was the fact that there was not a lot of information really to be given. Yeah, the media had, you know, made a lot of noise, but in all that noise, there was nothing actually, no documents, no evidence, no, I don't know, no, nothing. So it's, it's like so much noise, but nothing, an empty team. Like there's no actual data. There's nothing to review. There's nothing to assess. There's, it, it was so frustrating. And all you're coming up with are these kinds of explanations, you know, like we worked with them for four times, four times before, and it was all okay, the, those times. <laughs> and, and we are too, I don't know, we are a small country, we cannot negotiate with China. How can you stand up to your country? And that's the excuse you're giving them for giving up a government asset. You could have told them, yeah, you went there to Beijing to do negotiations, but you did it when things failed. And then at this point when you're giving up, you know, an explanation, you're saying you did not read that contract, you approved. Like, what kind of... I, <laughs> I don't know if you, you get the frustration. It's, it was very frustrating for me. It was really, really frustrating <laughs> to, to actually deal with this because there was there's no actual information from China's side. Yeah, they will deny, but everything is confidential. You know, like they said they wanted to keep the negotiations confidential and they wanted to keep the documents confidential. They're only, they were only provided to the parliament. They were not given up for public scrutiny. They said it was for transparency's sake, but there's no transparency. So even if I can sit here and tell you that, yeah, I, I did, there's nothing. So you're always reviewing from the perspective of, you know, like, which is very sad, but it's, it's the truth. We are, we are looking from the lenses of criticism, you know, the West's criticism against China, because that's where the information, that's where the analysis is coming from. It's not coming from Africa. We are not seeing our own, our own African voices, you know, either, you know, putting up a fight and saying that, and at disadvantage, it's the U.S. pointing a finger and giving all this data, and we cannot even verify it. We cannot stand up and, you know, and defend our position and saying we're in this position because the international system has a problem, period. So we are going to alternative sources. So that is, I don't know, <laughs> that is that it's kind of like frustrating, really, really frustrating because African countries really need to face up to our messes. And to face up to this, we have to admit and we have to put into public the things we are doing, to offer them, to offer up to, you know, to opinion and to discussion and to researchers and to be part 
of our own development process to be to sit at that negotiation table when we have leverage because at this point in time china has all the power it has all the leverage and it's 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 you cannot even fault them for that because they're the ones who are giving us the money we cannot ask them to you know like don't do this but we're not we're not coming as equal partners we're depending on them to write the contracts and and all we have to do is to approve we can't do that anymore we really can't we we need to put african interests first <laughs> so i don't know christine whether that is how it went for kenya and the the railway but in uganda it's just a mess <laughs> okay so uh, patricia i actually you've said a few things there which i thought you know this is serious first that parliament stands around and says these are the people should come and answer to us so the question would be is it that uh, parliament does not approve these things but you think that they did that's one so it's just like blame shifting but but also for as you said what a due diligence is i mean it seems to have escaped the people who said they did the due diligence because clearly there was none uh but then also i think the whole story as you're saying may not be out in the open we may not have the information and you see the problem is that part of the negotiation i'm sure they signed an an undisclosure agreement so you're in a situation where there's an, an nda that you cannot even go to the public and even you know uh, defend yourselves you know the information is coming from the west uh showing that how uganda was really literally i don't think there was any thought put into the negotiation but then also trying to point a finger at the at china but then as you said you see they they're not equal partners you see unlike the us and china uh uganda first of all is coming to the table at, at a very weak negotiation negos, negotiation point and i remember once asking uh du- during one of the classes that i took on china africa that why is it that china seems to get all these bad deals and the answer that i was given was that because that's what africa negotiates for uh because uh if you look at for instance you giving the airport as collateral apparently you know i always thought it's because china are the ones who say we must get this but then i was told that no actually what happens is that africa puts comes and puts on the table uh something where you just think why are you doing this you know and again i think it goes back to it goes back to how you're negotiating it goes back to the due diligence to the cost benefit analysis to all these things which yeah. i don't think are taken very seriously uh and yeah. and to go back to like what you asked about kenya um so again the information about like the uh, the railway what happened uh has not been given to the public there has been an ongoing request the case even went to court and funny thing is that <laughs> the decision of the court was issued after the uh, after the railway was uh, was done being constructed so you see the court took how many years to decide so and the issue that had been taken to court is we need disclosure of this document we need to know how the procurement laws were followed we we need to to know the rules around it we we need to see like uh who are the who are the other bidders and why was china chosen over the other bidders the court took its time and only gave a decision i think in 2020 this was after the sgr was constructed and operating a while back so again um it, it's quite the situation also uh to answer your question uh patricia but i think it's also like the whole thing about negotiations we because you're saying um they when they go to court they're talking about um you know they're asking uh why was china chosen as the bidder it's because the conditions were they're given are not as we need development like as they like come telling you as african countries we choose china because we can get that money we can access it now I mean yeah most times the government will scheme off 
And you know, like the traditional lenders will always say that we have bad credit rating, so we're not giving you the money. But it still does not take away from the fact that we need development. We need to access the world and we need to, to put into place infrastructure. We need to build to develop. We need, and to do that, we need money. And the people, the only people are offering at terms that are not very bad are the Chinese. Unfortunately, when we go there, we do not have the experience of developed countries who have had years to build up their negotiation game and to, to build up their knowledge on their partners, on their partners and to see what they can put up and, and, and whether they can put this up and at what time they can do this. And they've built up a sophisticated system of, of you know, public finance management and debt management and planning which we have not we have not done unfortunately so when we go to that negotiating table these are people first of all you're lulled into us into a sense of like um complacency and also like a sense of um yes finally i've gotten this money but also china is saying we're development partners and we are not going to be doing it like the U.S. are doing it. Who wants to be your friend? We, you know, you send this memorandum of understanding, and you're kind of like ruled into that sense of security, which is unfortunate, but which is something that is traditional for the Chinese and how they have done business, how they do business with each other, that they rely on a sense of relations, building relations, building trust, building, you know. Because then when you bring in contracts, it kind of like ruins that business relationship for them in the Chinese culture, in, in the way they do their things. It kind of like when you sign contracts and you build, bring in legal terms and you're coming to the table from a point of um, contestation, you're coming as not as friends or as equals, you're coming with this mentality that there's going to be a conflict in the future so in their sense you're coming as an adversary not as a business partner not as someone who you can trust because you're signing and saying yeah when we have a dispute this is where we're going to dispute and for them that is not how they understand business really they don't understand business like that but then as africans we're not chinese we're not the chinese and unfortunately we have not yet gotten a good enough sense of African business and African negotiation and African sense of values, what we are coming to the table and bargaining for, where they are thinking, the people who are sitting there and thinking for our country are unfortunately not thinking for our country, they're thinking for themselves and maybe their families or maybe that holiday or maybe when they get sick, that is what they're thinking of, they're not thinking of their countries. But when the Chinese, are on that table, they're thinking about their country, they're thinking about their development, they're thinking about their plan, their development plan, and that's what they come to negotiate for. They're thinking for the security of their banks, of their money, will it be paid back? But for us, we're not thinking about that. That's the difference. You know, we don't have those values when you're coming at that table. So we kind of like negotiate from an already bad position. Like that is what Africans need to understand, which is lacking for us. It's not that we are not equal, you know, partners. Yeah, we, yes, technically we're not equal partners, but we still do not have the mentality, the right mentality when we are negotiating. We don't have the right interests. We don't have the right people representing us, which I should say, we don't have the right people and the right mentality in those people to represent us. Really, we don't. It's, it's something that we have to, to accept and to deal with and then to see how we Africans do what we do and then come at the table and negotiate in that, you know, in that sense, in that mentality. Because then we are, whatever we're doing at that table, we're doing it for the Chinese. We're not doing it for Africa. So when we put up Entebbe Airport, 
it's in the interest of the Chinese. And yeah, they will take it. So yeah, it makes sense. Someone is making decisions for you, for themselves. Mm. It's kind of like, you that's know, how you can say it. <laughs> you, know, you know, Patricia, the thing that you just said, which I think is the crux of this thing, is that China have their values or what they consider to be the thing, how they go about things. That if you come to us uh, asking for a contract, we consider that as if you're being combatant and we don't take it nicely. But as you said, uh, an African country is not Chinese. You should equally come with your values and say, for us, um, this is also what we require. And in that statement, what you re we require should include something like protecting our assets, that we value this, that if you ask uh, for our assets to be part of the deal here, then we consider that to be offensive to us. But you see, the thing is that uh, within most African countries, which is the unfortunate thing, there are no, there's no value system uh, which you can point to. It's possibly how much I can get out of it as the person is negotiating. There's, there's no real concern for protection or for winning out of the deal. It's for, at least for the country. It's maybe for the individuals involved or what you can get. Like that's the truth about African countries. Like that is the truth that people don't care for the interest of any of these countries. Uh, you literally are just, you know, like getting quick money that you can and leave the rest of it. Uh, and hopefully, and mainly because it's politicians who are negotiating these things and you're not even sure if you'll be elected for a second term. Uh, but uh, Patricia, I think we can wrap up the discussion. Uh, so if you could make. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just kind of like, um, really, we have covered so <laughs> very little, but also quite, I think I would argue it's quite there. But to wrap up, I would say there's really need to reassess what we call bargaining power. Really, you have, you have to look at, to learn not only about ourselves as Africans and our interests, but also to learn about our partner and to put in the effort to to study them and to see what they're doing and how they're doing it and then to also know what we want as Africans and it doesn't matter where whether we come to the table and the the opposite side is an elephant and you're a mouse it it doesn't matter how big or small you are it it depends on your values and what you're willing to defend for those values so i think that's what bargaining power should be about it's about values so when you you're beginning it's about the value of what you're putting at the table so how much do you value your airport your government assets that that should be where we start from how much do you value whatever you're putting as collateral and if you do put Entebbe Airport as collateral, you had better defend that decision. You had have the conviction of your national values to defend that and not to put up excuses to do it. I would not, you know, I would not even really blame the government for putting up Entebbe Airport as collateral, really, in my opinion, because what else do we have to put up? We need the money. So we have an airport, you put it up period. But how do you defend it? Defend it. And that will, you know, it will kind of like, it will serve you. At least it will give you some face. And then secondly, really, it's about information. And we've always said it, the lack of information always allows people to fill in the gaps. And it doesn't matter whether it's your friend or your foe. They will just fill in whatever they want and it will create all this doubt and it will create all this negative media and information and it will corrupt a good relationship as it is most likely doing, is evidently doing with China and Africa because there is no transparency, there is no information. So we're allowing the US and this all this media to fill in. So there has to be publicity and publicity and transparency will allow 
public participation and public participation allows building trust and it also allows you to have national ownership of your development plans and ideas and values and kind of like helps you build your portfolio and it it puts us at that level at that level where we can start progressing from from our mistakes we can learn and progress from that and that starts with transparency and offering up accountability for our decisions however poorly they go so i think those those would be my two major takeaways at least for this discussion today there are so many other problems big big problems you know you could start with international law international financial law and the imf and i don't know the problems there but for today i think we really need to assess our values and our bargaining negotiation negotiation positions and also publicity being upfront i think and offering up information that that should be a takeaway yeah that's it for me <laughs> okay thank you patricia for uh, for the insights that you've shared tonight and i think you've made some very good points uh, to think about even if uh, maybe you've not even gone in depth uh, to cover all the issues and you've highlighted some of the things like you know like the international laws around it like should there even be uh, an accord of appeal for such decisions on a global level like if someone says i've taken your mind can you go to the international court of justice can you go somewhere why is that why and where is that and just because you negotiated with china and china says that in case of a dispute the arbitration should be done in china can you override arbitration clauses internationally when your assets are at risk i mean there is a lot to speak about and to think about uh, but but i think for tonight we just end it here thanks a lot patricia for coming by for everyone who listens to this please do share your thoughts and your comments uh, we would love to hear what you think about this topic uh, but Good night uh, from us. It's goodbye.